0: Hello friends. Welcome back to episode four of Keep It Real with Rachel Sinclair. I feel like every episode I say, this one is so special, you're going to love it. But y'all, this episode really is so special and I can't wait for you to listen. My guest is Shannon Martin. Shannon is the author of The Ministry of Ordinary Places. This book released last year, and if you've seen the cover, it's super cute. It's got two rows of coffee cups. Um, Very pretty book. But, oh, I just ate up every word of it. In the book, Shannon writes about how her family ended up moving To an area that many people might consider the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. And she started this journey of living life with people who were not like her. Many of her friends and neighbors are coming out of incarceration, struggling with addiction, or just come from a background that is nothing like she or her family had experienced. Shannon has so much learned wisdom that she shares in just the most gracious and beautiful way. There are nuggets of truth scattered throughout her stories that she tells beautifully and I think it's just extra fitting that Shannon came on this podcast which you know I've named keep it real because she does exactly that she keeps it real I love her I love her work and it was truly an honor for me to get to talk with her so I'm thrilled that you get to hear this conversation buckle up it's a good one here we go Hey, Shannon. It's Rachel.
1: Hey, Rachel.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm chewing my last bite of toast. I'll be honest.
0: (laughs) I love it. No, take your time. Finish breakfast. Um, Do you put anything on your toast or just plain? Okay, I just swallowed. It's um, cinnamon bread, so I just put butter on it. Oh, I love that. Well, <laughs> I asked because my standard breakfast—I mean, like every morning—is peanut butter toast with a banana on it. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a yep. toast girl for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm so excited to introduce you to my audience. I just thank you so much for coming, um, <laughs> for Absolutely. taking the time to be on. I read the Ministry of Ordinary Places. Um, I probably finished about. Two weeks ago, and I just absolutely love both your message, like what you have to say, and then your writing style is absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank Um, you. Yeah, and before we jump into you know questions, I wanted to just share this real quick uh, because I was listening to a sermon the other day, and they the pastor shared this verse, and I just thought it was really fitting. So um, it's Proverbs twenty five eleven. And the verses, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And when I heard that, I just thought, that is what Shannon's writing is. Um, because, you know, in today's world, we've got all these issues and all these problems, and people are just yelling on social yeah. media, on the news, and it, it can just be overwhelming. And I think um, your, your voice is such a refreshing um, perspective. And it is. It's just like. Gold in the middle of silver, so. <laughs> oh,
1: well, thank you. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Apples of gold. I love it.
0: Yes, absolutely, and we need them. <laughs> we need that right. in uh, yeah. in the world. So, first of all, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and um, and Goshen, where you live?
1: Absolutely. My husband Corey and I have been married for almost twenty years now. So we met back in college, and he's from this you know county so he's kind of from this area i grew up in ohio okay um and we have four kiddos and all of our kids came to us through adoption so we have calvin who is 13 and he was born in south korea and then ruby is 12 she was born uh, domestically nearby Mm -hmm. and then silas is 10 he was also born in south korea and then our most recent adoption is our 24 year old
0: <laughs> robert
1: robert who was born in chicago and came into our family when he was 19 so we adopted you know he was like he was like our literal big surprise
0: at oh, the end there <laughs> that is wonderful i love it yeah. <laughs> and um and tell us about how long you've lived where you live and kind of the short version of what brought you there i guess
1: yeah sure we live in a in a small city, I guess, called Goshen, Indiana. So we're up here, way northern part of the state. Um,
0: yes, I'm in Nashville, so you are very north to me. <laughs> we are,
1: I know. There are parts of Indiana that are not so far from you, but we're like way up by the Michigan line. Yes. Um, so we, you know, like I said, my husband is from this general area. And aside from a short time that we lived in Washington, D.C., we both had political jobs previously. And he worked on the hill for a while in Washington, D.C. But other than that short little thing, you know, not long after we were married, we've mostly lived in in this county. Um, but six years ago, my family moved from a we lived out in the kind of in the middle of nowhere in a very quaint kind of Amish mm-hmm. town. We lived out in the country. And what we thought at the time was our dream farmhouse. I mean, it was what we had always wanted. And it was just a really beautiful place in a very picturesque setting. Um, and, and through a strange course of events, you know, this is how life always tends to go. Yes. We really felt like God was nudging our hearts to sort of leave this comfort that we were, you know, this. I, I look at it now as almost like we were kind of living in a bubble. We didn't mm-hmm. really know it. But we had just always lived in, in settings and in situations where everyone around us really looked and lived and believed exactly like we did. Right. And so at the point that we started to recognize that a little bit, we knew that that God was kind of kind of behind us, sort of pushing us, nudging us out out of that and, and into a place that was gonna be out of our comfort zone. And so we didn't move far. In proximity you know okay we moved maybe i don't 20 think i realized
0: that yeah yeah okay it's, it's
1: funny because it's you know and i think most cities and areas are that way you know you can go in some cities you can go one street over yeah and you're just in a very different location and so we we ended up moving from that small town where we lived out in the country we moved to you know, within the city limits of the, of the area where we used to go to Target or get groceries or, you know, um, it wasn't far in, in terms of distance, but, you know, we, we moved into a lower income, um, kind of shabby neighborhood, just kind of tucked away where nobody really even, you know, it's very overlooked. I mean, not a lot of reason to even think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, just very ordinary. And we moved in here and, you know, just the, the setting that we're in now compared to where we came from, especially in the beginning. I mean, at this point, this is very much home and we just adore it and it's our new normal, but, you know, coming out of a situation where everybody around us was sort of mirroring us Mm -hmm. and where we, you know, we, our neighbors for the most part were, were soybean fields. (laughs) So (laughs) we moved into this neighborhood where everybody's kind of crammed in here together, um, and, and it was just a different – it was just a different world for us.
0: Yes. And that's that's kind of what you write about in your book and how um... – I love that you talk about how you are naturally an introvert, and then God yeah. puts you in this place, and it's I like... I know. Why? Just... <laughs> What's that all about? Right? I mean, and we, it's like, hey, people, often, people, people, people. <laughs>
1: right. We think all the time, like, man, this is a bad idea on God's part. Like, I mean,
0: What was he thinking?
1: Out of, out of the five of us that live here in the home now, our oldest is out of the house, but out of us five still left... Four of us are introverts. We have one extrovert and he's ten. And so that That's Silas, right? It only helps so much. Right.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and community is such an important part of your story, um, and and I love that. I was actually, um I was watching this movie on Netflix and yeah, I didn't necessarily plan to talk about this, but I'll tell you <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, but I had Kristen Bell and Kelsey Gramer, and it was about this father and daughter reconnecting. And anyway, all that to say, there was this one line in there where, um I believe Kelsey Gramer said, the the fear of loneliness is a powerful thing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I just, I know this is like a, you know, cheesy, like probably not Christian approved, don't watch it, you know, (laughs) not (laughs) advocating it, but it it was just something that stuck with me, and I thought, gosh, how many things, how many coping mechanisms, how many um, decisions do we base just out of this Fear of being lonely, right. yet we're also Absolutely. afraid to, exp- like, to jump in and be in community. Right. It's this right. because, paradox. Yeah, because we're
1: also, we're just, we might even be more afraid of being uncomfortable. Right. Or, I guess I'll just speak for myself, but I mean, you know, that's what, for us, it was interesting, because we, we ended up in a place that, you know, for a lot of reasons, I mean, by the time we got here, we were excited, um, we were really ready, but there was still just this, this fear of the unknown and this kind of discomfort of, you know, being in an unfamiliar place where mm. n- we didn't know anybody. Um, and, and so it did kind of, you know, not only did it put us into a place of discomfort for a while, it also did put us into a place of loneliness because we were just new. Right. Um, and I think it was really good for us to sit in both of those emotions for a while. <laughs> you know, it served us well.
0: right. Right. Well, um, one of the things that you talk about in your book is the long haul and, you know, I've thought of this and heard this before in a more organizational sense, like, Oh, if we're going to start this ministry, we want it to be long term or, um, that kind of thing. But you really focus on it in a relational sense. Um, can you explain what that means to quote, be in the long haul and why is that just not our default?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I kind of latched onto that language, and by no means did I coin the phrase "long haul." I mean, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but it was one of those things that I, you know, just in my in my mind, in my heart, in my writing, I found myself kind of gravitating to that phrasing because I like that it implies um, to me. You know, I'm very much a word person. But I like the, the haul part of it because I think the long term, you know, that that tells us, you know, that we're looking out into the future a little bit. You know, we're kind of looking at the long game to say long haul to me implies that there's there's going to be some, you know, you're carrying some burdens through yes. that, um, that it's not going to be you know, necessarily easy. And that's where, you know, once we landed in this neighborhood and we got our bearings a little bit and, you know, we just kind of, we, we just got, we just got to work being normal people. You know, that's why, that's why we came here. We didn't come to this neighborhood to do a thing. So we didn't come to plant a church or start a Bible study or open a food bank or, you know, none of those things. And they're all good things. They're not, those are not bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just knew that we were being called here to be neighbors and that was scary because we didn't really know how to be neighbors and our life had not really prepared us for just the daily activity of neighboring and so there was a learning curve for us in that of you know what does it really look like to be a neighbor and to um to love our neighbors to be loved by our neighbors and you know over time as we're just doing the normal everyday thing that we felt like we were supposed to be doing, it started to become clear to us that part of neighboring for us is committing, Mm. you know, committing to, because there was a, there was a time where when things started to get very, um, maybe even comfortable, but very much, you know, now this was no longer, it was no longer anxiety producing. It was no longer scary or stressful or unknown. Like this is just home now and i felt myself like well you know it must be time to move on you know it was like we had so much transition and then when the transition kind of settled down i was like well you know now where do we go and i started to understand like now we stay mm. now we've we've gone through that transition and now we get to just you know sink these roots down deeper because for us it's particularly important, you know, my husband is the chaplain of the county jail and that happened after Robert came into our family. So that happened since we've lived here mm-hmm. and was pretty, you know, took us by surprise. But because of the nature of our neighborhood and because of the the backstories of so many of our friends who come out of incarceration and battle addiction and you, these kinds of things, we've just been able to experience the value of people are going to come and go and and we're going to get our hearts broken an awful mm-hmm. lot but when they come back they know where to find us we are still yes. right here and you know there's real value to committing to a place for the long haul mm-hmm. and i you know i think it kind of goes against a lot of our instincts just as humans and maybe particularly as Americans you know we're always just kind of looking for the the next best thing the better thing Um, but to just say you know this is just this is where we're going to be until we're told otherwise and we're always Mm -hmm. really hoping that we're not told otherwise because we love it here so much but we just (laughs) until we're told to go we're just going to really stay with a lot of intention
0: and you have I mean you talk about they know people know where to find you you have literally had people like come back to your house right I mean that's not just a figurative like oh they know we're here for them it's like
1: right I mean that in the most literal way possible I mean I just you know I think that's that's the value too of a church that's really really rooted to its place not as like its own island in that place but you know we are Mm. we're members of a just a little at the time when we arrived here, it was a very much a dying Methodist church a block and a half away from us, just right here on our street. Mm-hmm. And so between you know, between us living right here and the churches right there, I mean, I think there's something so beautiful about being a steady presence in a in a community that has a lot of transition and a lot of upheaval and a lot of you know transience even just people coming and going and you know being hauled off to jail and and coming back around and I mean there's just a lot circulating around us and so we get to just be that that study and there we're not the only study I don't want to paint it as though we are but for us like that's part of
0: our work here absolutely and that was actually on my list to ask you um about your church, can you kind of tell us like what, what kind of environment that is and maybe how that's different from anything you've, um, any church you've been a part of in the past?
1: I mean, I write an awful lot about church Mm -hmm. in both of my books. I find myself, you know, and it, to me, that tells me it's just, it's been really transformational for me to be a part of this congregation and to be a real, um, like a, an intentional part, you know, not that we just show up at at church on Sundays, but we're really invested in this church community. And so when we arrived here, you know, six years ago, we knew that it was right here in our neighborhood. And for whatever reason, I don't even really understand why, but we just, we knew it was here. We knew we would visit and say hi at some point, but we never seriously thought of it as the church that would become our church home. And I think part of it, honestly, is that we had just never been Methodist. And I know that sounds silly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like, you know, we you had just did sure. and so Right. Like, we'll say hi. We'll go in and say hi to the, to the Methodists, but we're not <laughs> one of them. And it's so funny to me to even to even say out loud that we kind of felt that way because it wasn't these were not conversations that we were having it was just kind of stuff in our brain Mm -hmm. Um, but we did stop in like our second week in the neighborhood we stopped in on a Sunday morning and there were maybe 60 people in this you know it's just a very small traditional sanctuary with pews and hymnals and that kind of thing and we were just immediately over like aggressively perfectly overloved by these people who yeah. I feel like you know most of them were 75 and older it was a very old very much a, a literally dying congregation and we walked in with our three little kids and I don't think they were used to that happening I don't think they were used to to you know younger families just showing up and so and, and you know being introverts I was used to kind of and I would have thought that I wanted the kind of church where you just kind of sneak in and you mm-hmm. sit there and you listen and you sneak back out. Well, there was none of that that was going to happen <laughs> in this place. It's just not how it was going to be. And so, you know, we were hugged by everyone and welcomed. And and beyond just that, that spirit of love and welcome, we just very much knew, you know, the Holy Spirit and God's presence is alive here and mm-hmm. it's right in our neighborhood and we never— I mean, we've been there ever since then. And so we've watched this church congregation, you know, that first year or so was just, you know, stars in our eyes and it was so different. We had all of these grandparents yeah. now and, you know, but as, as it tends to happen, you know, over time we got more involved, we got more, um, you know, you, you sit on the church board and then you start to just, you know, too much at some point. It's like, you're mm-hmm. too involved. The, you can't look at it at a safe
0: distance. The eyes realize, oh, anymore. Right. Right. Right.
1: I mean, it is beautiful, but it's also a bunch of humans trying mm-hmm. to do something together and there's bound to be trouble. Um, we went through a couple of years of, of really, you know, the church split, we had transition and pastors and, mm-hmm. you know, so our 60 people whittled down for a time to like 30 people mm-hmm. and, I mean, everybody was just leaving and people were, you know, congregants were still dying. I mean, we were just fading away. And through the strangest course of events, our church has very much um, come back to life. And it's come back to life through the Workerly Center, which is basically like jail, only you get to go to work in church. Mm-hmm. And it's right in our neighborhood. And that Workerly Center has, I mean, that's the reason that we're still. You know that the doors are still open. Quite honestly, um, so now, you know, now we're we're six years in, and I would say our church congregation on a Sunday is sixty percent people from work release,
0: wow,
1: um, and their families, and so it's a very different, you know, body. Absolutely. Um, and, and very, in a lot of ways, you know, from the outside looking in, if somebody were to come in, it would look, it would look pretty messy. It would look kind of chaotic sometimes. It would look very raw right. and very real. And, you know, I just, I love it so much. That's awesome. <laughs> I love and it I,
0: so much. And I think a lot of us would, you know, maybe look at a situation like that and think, oh, I can really help you know, help these people and serve, which, which is obviously a good and true thing. Um, what, can you tell us maybe just like a story, I don't know about a person or a family where like you have learned something, um, you know, from someone who maybe you never thought you would even sit in a pew together with.
1: I mean, I would say that what you just said is kind of the, that's the, like the, the baseline of our life. I mean that's the backdrop, that's the soundtrack is that we we spend our life in real close connection with people who have lived incomprehensibly hard lives. Mm-hmm. And and that includes our oldest son Robert. I mean he in so many ways kind of set the pace and set the tone in ways that we couldn't have even imagined, you know, but he kind of he was a presence in our life that that we had a lot to learn from him Um, when he, so when he came into our life, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, but he was incarcerated in jail. Maybe I did say that. Then he was sent to prison and when he was released from prison, he was released to us and lived here for a year and then, you know, didn't live here and then lived here again. I mean, it's been (laughs) a lot of that kind of back and forth and he's trying to find his way and he's trying to fight his way out of this system that does not seem to want him out of its grip. Yeah. And so, you know, I can use him as an example because he's, he was the first one to arrive that, that we just had to start to really come to grips with the fact that we had a lot of bad ideas about people who had been incarcerated or people who had, um, you know, just, just lived in a bit of a different way. And and now, you know, most of our closest friends would fall into that category. So one of the things that we did with our church, one of the, you know, we try to operate, Corey and I and our family try to operate from a perspective of, you know, we can just be living our life, but really intentionally paying attention to what's happening around us. And so as we're, as we're in church with these least men and women who are kind of trickling in, um, right now, there's a ton of them, but they came slowly. One of the things that we realized, and we knew this in part because of Robert, was they get a pass on Sundays so they can go to church, and then after a while, they earn time to go you know, to lunch or to do errands or whatever, so they get a couple of hours on Sunday. Many of them had nowhere to go, mm. and one woman in particular who we had become really close with, her name is Lisa, and her husband was still in work release, but she was out, and they were trying to you know really fight their way out of drug addiction and so she had this time on her hands but she didn't have a driver's license and that's so common um and all the people who she knew in the area were drug users Mm -hmm. and so uh, the easy it was a very simple thing for us to do and it, it you know it it didn't it, it wasn't rocket science. But what we started to understand is we could just open up our table after church in our kitchen. You know, we live a block away. So after right, you, church, walk, anybody, right? you can yeah, just walk we over. Walked to church. Yeah. So after church, we just started making the announcement kind of like if anybody needs somewhere to come for lunch, come and enjoy us for lunch. And so Lisa came almost every week mm-hmm. and others began to come as well and Lisa is now i mean one of my very best friends oh. and she's doing you know her and her husband are doing so well i mean they're just
0: i love that that just
1: they are so they inspire us all the time because it's like to sit with people like them you know to sit around the table and to you know f- keep filling the coffee pot and we're eating really basic you know i'm not not cooking a feast or anything we're eating soup and we're talking about life and i mean to just sit and listen to people who have really struggled is just such a gift.
0: Yes. And I I have a situation, I mean, much, much different settings, but with a person who I kind of, she was, you know, in my life in a certain way. And I thought, I, you know, I want to be friendly to her. I, you know, yeah. may go do this with her and cause she needs a friend. Well, it turns out now she's like actually one of my really (laughs) great friends. And I just, I love when um, God kind of turns it on our head and says, you know, you think you were going to be the one, you know, to help really, they're going to help you. And um, that's, we just, we need each other, you know? I think
1: that's when, when when a relationship takes a turn into that, you know, that very clear mutuality where you know it's not that one of us is the giver and one of us is the recipient yes. but we're just i mean that's where things get very real and that's where you know i always i always think of it like if i if i'm not receiving from the people around me in really practical and tangible ways you know if i'm not receiving from them whatever they've got to offer me and you know there's there's a deeper level of like what i'm learning from them what you know what god is showing me through them but sometimes it's just like they want to give me stuff and my job is to take it, you know, yes. with gladness.
0: You re- if I'm, I'm not,
1: if I'm not receiving from them, then I'm just a really disorganized nonprofit. Yes. You know, if I'm, if I'm the one that's always giving um, then, it's not a relationship a, right. i mean that's it's not, not a, it's certainly not a friendship and really I'm just a service provider and even then like I probably am not doing that real well you know yeah so its like this is just so much better for everybody and you
0: talk about that in your book i um I didn't write this quote down but I've got it highlighted about how sometimes it it really is harder to receive than give because oh yeah. how we hate our pride and yeah. we just it, we want to be the one to give and um. I think right. you even talk about how even kids are just programmed to say thank you or you're welcome you know it's this yeah. almost transactional right. thing when sometimes we just need to sit down and say thank you and yeah. receive from others Um, we don't have to be yeah. the one on top you know exactly My, our
1: youngest son right now he's 10 and he's real tender hearted and I mean, he's he's my feeler, excuse me, my my noticer and, you know, all of these things. But I've noticed lately that he has kind of he's and I think we all go through times where where this happens. But he's at this place of like if somebody offers him something, even if it's something he really wants, his first instinct is to say, oh, no, no, that's fine. I don't okay. need
0: that. I'm fine. Thanks anyway. Yeah. Thank you anyway. <laughs> when
1: I know, a lot of times I know that he wants to take it so badly, but so that's one. You know, and I, I think that's something that that we all tend to do because we have this idea that you know, if I receive from you, um, you know, and I think his heart is really pure in this. Like he just he doesn't want to take something right. kind of, mm. but to to move just a couple steps outside of that and to see it rather than you know I'm not taking something the person on the other side of this whatever it is we all want to be generous we all want to to have something of value to give and to offer and so you know i i've done that myself where it's somebody offers me something and i and i might be thinking like man i know they don't have anything i know how they struggle i know how they suffer i don't need it you know we tell ourselves all of these things really what the best thing I can do in this situations is just grab it with both hands and say thank you
0: yes a hundred percent and um and it doesn't have to be some big, you know, sometimes I think we just think too much of things and we make too, too big of a deal when really it's just simple. It's like you say, just breaking bread, sharing life. You yeah. Know. um, you talk about, you know, going to Burger King and you know, I love that story yeah. about how, um, your friend said, I'm, I'm paying. And you, you say, okay, uh, thank you. You know?
1: <laughs> and it was so hard though. Like I just, she's, she's a perfect example of somebody who, you know i just knew how they were struggling and and so to receive that that extra value meal <laughs> that yes. offer from her i mean that's really humbling in the most and i don't mean that in like a fake humble way i mean i just felt like i had to stand there in that you know at the counter at burger king and think like okay god like this doesn't make any sense because i've got i've got cash in my wallet like i could easily pay and it would, you know, it would I wouldn't miss the money, but I know she's gonna miss this money. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you know, that was just the right thing to do is to just to say thank you, to let her be the one giving and to, you know, sit with her and I mean I yeah, these are the things that I'm confronted with all the time. There's mm-hmm. just this tension all the time. And I think I think that's it's really necessary to just stay right
0: in that tension. Absolutely. And um, you know, you talk about like you said, having people over for lunch and just, you know, sharing life. Um, I loved your story about trying to make the um, the Thai recipe from Jen Hatmaker. Oh <laughs> and, um, because let me tell you, I completely relate. I, you know, my, my mom is a wonderful cook and um, she is just the best hostess and that is her gift and it's wonderful. And so I've seen that and I, I can definitely get in my head like, oh my goodness, I have to do X, Y, and Z, and this has to be perfect. And, you know, if I don't make the latest cool recipe off of Pinterest, you know, it's, (laughs) but um, can you kind of tell, help us out? Tell us why can we let that stress go and
1: (laughs) (laughs) And take it down a
0: notch?
1: (laughs) Again, I think our hearts are, are in the right place. I really do. I'm giving us the full benefit of the doubt. Yes. And you do that throughout
0: I, I, the book. You you really do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just know how we are. Yeah. Right. Like, I know how I am. And I, you know, my motives are certainly terrible sometimes, for sure. <laughs> but I just think, especially when it comes to this hospitality thing, I don't know that it's, I mean, I think we do kind of want to, there might be a little element of like, we want to impress people, but I think bigger than that. It's just that we want people to feel appreciated and we think that's the way to do it. Yes. Like we think, you know, the more time we put into this, the more complicated this is, the more,
0: um, the more they're going you, to feel appreciated yes. and loved. And that's you're right. It. It's, it's not totally this, um, you know, I, I want them to think I'm the best hostess or I have, right. you know, really it's just, we, we want to give them something valuable. Yeah. But sometimes that just overtakes why oh. we want them in there in the first place, you know? Right. I mean,
1: we, we want it to be special. And so the the infamous pad tie story, <laughs> is that, you know, we are a friend came to visit from out of town. I, we barely knew him, you know, we were kind of friends online and he and my husband are buddies from a distance. And, you know, this is the first time he's in our home. And so I wanted to do something special. I wanted to make something special. And I had made, I'd made Jen Hatmaker's pad tie before. And it was, it was like, Amazing! Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Oh well, I I bought the walk, you know. Yeah. I'm gonna make this. This is a perfect time to do this again." Well, I ended up like causing him real intestinal harm <laughs> through my <laughs> attempt, and you know, I just uh, what one of the things that I learned from my neighbors in particular, and from Robert, and from you know so many people around us is that number one, I mean, a lot of our friends are not necessarily used to eating these weird things. I'm a foodie, and I love to cook, and I love, you know, I've got these, we've got this this, this very diverse family, you know, we've got these two Asian boys who love all of the Asian stuff, and, yeah. you know, that. I mean, we've got a pretty broad palate as a family, but that's not typical. I mean, when Robert lived with us and saw the way we ate, it horrified him, because he... <laughs> I mean, he would just have been so much happier with ham sandwiches and ramen, and you know, frozen (laughs) pizzas. I don't know, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but but there's a valuable lesson for me, and that is like, if I want to serve my neighbor, you know, I need to take it down about six hundred notches when I when I say it again
0: for the people in the back. (laughs) Right.
1: I mean, so I I've just I've I've gotten used to. Um, just, just cooking more simply, but that's a gift for me. I mean, so often I'm, I'm grateful when I'm, you know, I'm making a pot of chili or spaghetti or whatever, you know, just something pretty basic, like it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, I, I think it's, it's so much more about, you know, for us, we like to think of our door, our front door as being very easy on its hinges mm. and, and we really we really live and operate from a place of anybody, anybody is welcome in our home and is welcome at our table, and that's what it's about. More than what what am I serving? How does the house look? How do I look? Um, and so, six years into this, the way that I think of of hospitality is very different. Um, the way I think of my home and the way that I want it to look when people arrive is very different because we have people just showing up now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've, along the way I've lost some of my, you know, previous kind of type A Martha Stewart, <laughs> Right. Um, that like that woman is long gone. I, I vaguely remember her, um, and I don't necessarily miss her because now, it's like, I'm usually kind of a mess. I probably may not have showered on a particular day and I'm wearing, you know, I'm wearing my yoga pants from yesterday and I don't have makeup on. The house is a little bit of a mess. Um, and maybe dinner is, is a little overcooked. I mean, whatever the case may be, but if you show up, you're welcome. Just come on in and, and just drop by. I mean, I used to just go crazy. I would crawl out of my skin when people would just show up and drop by. It was really hard for me. And now it happens pretty frequently. And I, I'm, I'm happy to say that I, you know, we've just gotten better over time. Like we've, we've put in the time and we've put in the practice and, and it doesn't mean that You know, we don't sometimes hear a knock at the door and just think, oh, no, you know, like, (laughs) no, because I still feel that. I'm still me. I'm still an introvert. I still like quiet and I still like my own time and space. And, you know, but but I just think as we do these things that we know, you know, we know that this is the way community is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to meet it halfway. Like we're going to have to step into it. And as we, as we put in that practice and as we take those steps, it does, it becomes easier, it becomes more natural. And that's always, always, even the times when I might kind of groan inside, like, oh, you got to be kidding me. By the end of that encounter, whatever it is, I don't ever, ever regret it. Mm. You know, like that's where the magic happens. That's where real true
0: community is built. Absolutely. I, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, let's see, I'm looking over it. We've kind of jumped around like (laughs) all the subjects, (laughs) which I love. That's, that's the best way. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about, um, because this resonated with me so much in your book is, um, the idea that you are going into a relationship or a community and there's no specific outcome or right. goal because i am i'm an enneagram one and so oh, yeah. i you know um which some people call the perfectionist but uh-huh. i i like to think of it more as the reformer um you know it goes back to the a lot of times people's intentions really are good um you know like it, in my case a lot of times i really do want to help people or think of a situation and say like, you know, how can I, you know, if this person is struggling, how can I help them get from A to Z, you know, how do we do this and make it better. But per, you know, being in the long haul, um, sometimes you just have to let go of things sort of being finished, like having a, the end or it's fixed or it's better. Um, can you talk about like what you've learned from that?
1: Yeah. I mean, First of all, I'm an Enneagram 8. And mm-hmm. but I I just in, twice in the past 24 hours I've said out loud, I have some Enneagram 1 tendencies. I was yeah. raised by an Enneagram 1. Okay. So I so you, I you feel, feel you. it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I I feel that I feel that like that reformer part more than I feel the perfectionist part, but I used to feel that that perfectionist part more. Like that's what I was kind of Referring to a minute ago, like I used to have more of those tendencies and they've just they've gotten lost along the way of life. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I think getting grim ones bring a lot of value because of of all the reasons you just mentioned. I mean, you guys, you get stuff done. Right. And you make it better. Um, But I I think we had to come to a place, especially in Corey's work as the chaplain of the jail, We had to regroup around our thoughts about success because the reality is, even though we know, you know, that as neighbors or with him as a chaplain, like we know we're not here to fix people. We know that. Right. And, and we really believe it. But I think there are still these like seeds, you know, buried somewhere in our hearts that are like. But maybe we, you know, maybe we will. Maybe we will anyway. We know that's not why we're here, but maybe people will, you know, um, maybe somehow this will lead to a, a particular outcome. And so that's easy to like, you know, to set up camp around this idea of like, what would it look like to, to find success here? For, for Corey in the jail, the question he gets all the time is about recidivism. So when men leave the jail, are they likely to return? Mm-hmm. And and so people, and particularly Christians or churches, want to hear that, like, you know, we have this really vibrant, um, robust jail ministry program, so surely that means that these guys don't come back. You know, surely their mm-hmm. their lives are transformed inside the jail, and then they just, you know, they go out and, you know, they, they lead successful, productive lives, and, and they don't come back. That's not what actually happens. (laughs) You know, what actually happens is that many of them, and maybe even most of them do very much find their way back to the jail. And that's because in a lot of ways, the system is really messed up and broken, but we don't have time to go into that today. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: That's podcast round two. (laughs) Right.
1: Exactly. But, but what we've come to see in terms of both our neighboring and you know Corey's work in the jail. I would even say parenting. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever it is that that we think of. You know, these are all areas of our life that would that would count as like our ministry in ordinary places. You know, this is just us living our life. Right. But success in these areas does not look like a particular outcome. It does not look like um, a lower recidivism rate. It does not look like all of our neighbors. You know, they go to. Um, AA, and they, they stop drinking, and they never drink again, or they come right. clean off of meth, and they never use again. I mean, we we see people all the time just relapsing and then trying again and relapsing and trying again. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look like a particular outcome, as much as it looks like us being faithful. Yes. So that is what success for the long haul has to be: is that we're just going to keep we're just going to keep showing up, we're just going to keep staying present. We are going to be the ones that, you know, even down at our church, when when somebody disappears for six months and then they wander back in, that we will embrace them, mm-hmm. that we will be overjoyed to see them. And we won't even really care why they were gone. We're just going to be happy to to have them back with us. That's what we believe success really is.
0: Right. And I think that, I mean, it's just a picture. It's practicing the love of Christ and the love of God and that, you know, you know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even, um, yeah. I mean, I was having this conversation with my friend the other day about forgiveness and, um, and she said, you know, Rachel, if you think about it, God forgave us when not only had we done, like, had we really messed up, we didn't even like know to the full extent how bad we have messed up and we didn't ask for the forgiveness that like we, we were just right. clueless. And what did he do? He just loved us anyway. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that is, that's powerful. <laughs> that <and> is powerful <laughs> because, convicting, you know, you know?
1: I, I look back on the way I used to see the world and, and I would say, you know, my, my neighborhood is just really diverse. It's very immigrant rich. Um, you know, just really a, a beautiful place. But I look back, you know, before we lived here, at the way that I saw the world and the way that I operated in my faith and, you know, the way I viewed money, the way I viewed um, comfort and success. And I feel like I really, I just, I, I got a lot of things wrong. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. So just, just what you're talking about now. I mean, I think I would I would say that I was really seeing the world in some unfair and probably some pretty sinful ways, but I didn't know it. Right. And so what I know, what I know, what that tells me is right now, I'm still seeing some things in some unfair and unhealthy ways. You know, there are still things in my life like this is what growth means, is that we don't know what we don't know. And you know, at the point that, that God opens our eyes and reveals himself to us in a in a in a way that we really see, I mean, that's what that's what this life is about. So I know that a year from now I'm going to look back to this moment in time right now and think, man, Yes. you know, I I was still getting some stuff wrong. I just, Absolutely. I think that's what life is. Absolutely. Is that we're always moving. I hope that every day I'm moving closer to Jesus, that I'm understanding the kingdom of God in a better and truer way. Um, and so there's grace for me all along the way. There is, and if there's yes. grace for me, then there's
0: grace for my neighbors. Absolutely. And I know we've, you know, gotta. I have to wrap it up because I gotta go to work. Um, <laughs> but real quick, um, what would you say to somebody who's listening, and maybe they're thinking, you know what, I do live kind of in a bubble. I know that. I recognize yeah. that. But I don't know that I'm gonna do something. You know, maybe as drastic as your family. Right. You know, like moving yeah. to a new area, just jumping in, yeah. or being a jail chaplain. What What would you encourage people with, like, the first just? baby steps to start getting yeah. outside of their bubble.
1: I love that you asked that because that's the heart of, of really the whole book, the ministry of ordinary places is that no matter where we live, it's ordinary to us. You mm-hmm. know, it's just, so I don't believe that the, every person listening is supposed to sell their house and move into a shabby neighborhood. Maybe right. somebody is, but most people like wherever you are right now, it's safe to assume that God's got you there for a real purpose. Um, so I would say the, here's two little baby steps. Number one, begin asking God to see your place, whatever it is, and the people around you, whoever they are, the way he sees them. That is a prayer that I know God is eager to answer and it will change everything. I mean, that was one of the first things that was one of the very first steps in our journey was just starting to understand like every person bears the image of God, God, please let me see the people, not even the people I know, but, but sometimes it was just people on passing on the sidewalk when I was driving through a different part of town, like help me to see people Mm -hmm. around me through the way that you see them. Yes. And then, and so part B, I guess, of that is we've got to get very serious about paying attention. And I mean that in the most literal way Um, being present in our place, taking walks, you know, joining work that, that is already happening rather than always thinking we need to start something new. I mean, God is already at work in our streets and in our back roads and in the alleys and in the schools. And I mean, God's at work there. So we can, we can open our eyes and notice what's already happening and choose to be a part of it. Mm. That is a powerful step in beginning to just move, even if, even if our physical home doesn't move, but to find these places of exile around us, like these places where, where pain exists, where suffering of some kind exists, and it exists everywhere in every context, yes. and, and to choose to walk straight towards it rather than detouring around it.
0: Oh, that's powerful. I love it. Um, I love it. That's that's perfect. That's exactly what, what we need to hear, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. And tell us where we can find you, where we yeah. can follow you. And, I mean, I already do. But <laughs> for everyone else, no, if I they haven't you. already read the book.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can find The Ministry of Ordinary Places on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or in the physical stores. Um, really, anywhere books are sold, that book is available and right now we're just getting ready to start an online um book club over on Facebook going through the book. So you can find me on Facebook, Shannon Martin Rights. Um my blog is ShannonMartinRights.com and my two favorite, they're like my twin favorite social media platforms mm-hmm. are Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. I'm on both of them most days. Um and in both places I am at Shannon Wrights.
0: Yes, and it's. I love getting to, you know, I read about your neighborhood, but to see pictures and to see your kids and, uh, yes. and the church, it's, it's a lot of fun. So um, yeah, it, it is. Yes, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with me. And um, I know, My I pleasure. know, I have been enlightened by this, and I know other people will as well.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, you have a great day. All right. Thank you. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Wow, wow, wow. What a conversation. I loved that, and I hope you did as well. Like Shannon said, you can find her at ShannonMartinWrites.com, and That's S-H-A-N-N-A-N. And look for her book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, wherever books are sold. I can guarantee you will not be disappointed. If you have enjoyed these last few podcasts and you're thinking, man, how can I help Rachel spread the word? thank you for asking. It's very simple. You can rate the podcast, preferably five stars, if that's what you're thinking. And it helps if you also write a short comment saying why you enjoy listening. That just makes it easier for other people to find us. Secondly, you can subscribe just by hitting the subscribe button. That way you will get every new episode automatically downloaded onto your device. And lastly, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Twitter. My username for both is one, as in the digit, one Rachel Sinclair. That's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to look out for the next episode coming in early February. I already have it recorded, which makes me feel very organized about this whole thing. It's kind of a miracle. But anyway, I will see you next time. Or hear you next time? You'll hear me next time? I don't know. Anyway, y'all have a great day. Thank you for listening. Bye!